And then I said, you know, oh my God, yeah, it is. And as soon as I said the word God, this cross that we had kind of taped, you know, on the wall just falls on my head. And oh my God, I, I almost passed out. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Mr. Conrad Farage. Conrad Farage, a little bit later, uh, about his movies, documentaries, short films. No documentaries, just short films. Yeah, and, and full length movies. And we got our old pal RPJ here to join us for the intro. And uh, of course, as always, Graham. Don't tell me soccer sucks, Dunlop. How's it going, buddy? Hey, good, good. Doing well. We've got this <laughs> aspiring young director on this episode coming up after after this little rambling intro. And I have a feeling this guy is gonna be gonna be big. He's made a few movies. He's only like in his mid twenties. He's a it's a great chat, super nice, super open minded, like very open. It was it was awesome. So hope I wish him all all the best. And we're talking about his uh, movie, really fighting the sky, which is about a bunch of uh, young ufologists investigating sounds in the sky. So oh, kinda, yeah. Sky sounds. Yeah. Sky sounds. So he's kind of taking the modern, that modern sort of phenomenon, even though I'm sure some people say it goes way back, but anyways, he's turned it into like a alien invasion style film. Oh, like, Signs, but instead of crop circles, now you go with the skyquakes. Yeah, well, were you listening to it, Red? Because uh, he mentioned signs actually is big inspiration for this one. Definitely. You know, I have mixed feelings about signs because on the one hand, it's one of those nice Shyamalan movies. You know, would you be, would you know that he's eventually going to mess things up, and he did really did it in this one but on the what, other what, hand what do, you, what do you mean by that oh uh, man i mean the idea that the uh, i'm here spoiler alerts here people the, the idea that the no aliens spoiler alerts. were like shit. uh like uh, how do you call it that they they were that water was like corrosive acid you know that's uh, so stupid hello yeah, I'm still here. You know, I think that the, the, the fact that that, that uh, you know uh, these Mel Gibson managed to 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 beat the aliens using you know a single glass of water I was like, oh man, really? But on the other hand, there are some really really great moments in that film. I mean, the Shyamalan is really great at creating characters. You know, his characters are really interesting and, and, and lovable and, 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 and you can identify with them as a, as a, as a viewer. So that, that's one of the things in which I still, I still give him the pass and I still watch his films, even though I know that Suraner or Naylor, he's going to drop the ball and it's going to really, you know, foul things up. Huh. I don't right. know. I don't find so much fault in the water. No. Anyways, <laughs> we need to get you some uh, noise canceling headphones, Red, so you can listen to your uh, to Gr the Grime America show on the way to work in the morning. Yeah, because now I'm I'm taking the subway, and like we, I was telling the guys backstage, 
Mexican subways are tend to be really, really, really noisy. And we mentioned it to Darren, and Darren has never been on the subway. No. <laughs> never, really? How about that? I've well, been on the C train. Well, that goes underground, so there you go. Goes under the cemetery. Yeah. Ooh. Mm. I know. Yeah, actually, you've never... had fun with the C train drivers before, haven't you? I've driven a C train. <laughs> We won't get into that. We don't want to get anybody into trouble. <laughs> Plus, we're in your party days, eh? Damn yeah. pee time. But does that count? Does driving the C train count as riding the subway? Yeah. Because all the platforms are above ground. Yeah, I don't know what the technical definition is. So what's loud about it, Red? Is it people ch- chitter-chatting, or is it just like the noise of the machine itself? No, people are quiet. Well... Not all people, because check this out. Here in Mexico City, you have vendors, you know, get, people getting in the trains and and selling shit, like, you know, <laughs> like headphones, you know, <laughs> or, or, or or pens or candies Knock or off whatever. those headphones is what you... Exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, and, and the thing... Oh, but the worst of them all are the ones who, are, who sell uh, pirate CDs because they have these, you know, really loud speakers, portable speakers that they use in order to put their fucking music as loud as they can. And if someone is actually trying to read a book... Or listen to their own music? No, they can't because you know you have to 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 listen to this asshole who who is perturbing, are, are invading your privacy in order to to uh, sell something that is not only illegal, but the the, the authorities uh, swore that they would get rid of all these vendors, but you know they still keep coming. Now I think that it it, it seems that now their new tactic is that they use babies as shields <laughs> yeah 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 the police officer arrives and when the, the moment they Out see that the they have a, a baby in their arms they say well you know instead of you know taking them to the police station you know they just tell them to 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 remove themselves from the premises and that's how they uh, manage to avoid getting arrested you know Using so, a, a child who is obviously not even their child. So, so you have baby shielded bootleg vendors? Yeah. Exactly. How soon, about that? Soon, soon to be selling weed, right? I guess on there. If you guys are one step closer wait, to Wait, wait, we should fucking buy RPJ a fucking boombox and some batteries. <laughs> And he can blast fucking Grand right. America show up in that motherfucker and sell CDs. <laughs> <laughs> that will be hilarious, and nobody will fucking understand what what I'm trying to sell. Oh, yeah. But are you at least wearing your grandma's shirt could, on the subway? Maybe you could fucking translate it Live, in real yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I haven't. I haven't even uh, taken it to 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 the office yet. You know, I'm kind of uh, worried. What the what your new boss, boss will say, say about it? Yeah, I mean, he's uh, whenever uh, I, I I send him sometimes messages through WhatsApp, you know, and and the other day he tells me so. What's this so red you pill? Are, 
Yeah, what is this red pill nonsense? You know? <laughs> well, <laughs> sir, <clears throat> that's my name. <laughs> I'm sure he's Googled you, so he probably knows more than you think. I don't think he gives a flying fuck about that. No, I'm, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't think he's Googled me. Hmm. Hopefully. If he has, so anyway, he'd be pleasantly surprised with the work you've done, Red. Uh, hopefully, fucking so, fire your ass right, right on the spot. Yeah, imagine me. Imagine if he knows that I'm actually an advocate for for illicit drugs. Well, <laughs> drugs that shouldn't be illegal. Well, speaking of that, speaking of that, let's talk about this new development here in Mexico with the last week's Supreme Court ruling in favor of uh, four individuals who kind of like uh, requested what he, we call here in Mexico Amparo, which is kind of a weird uh, technical term in the, in the Mexican law in which you kind of like uh, put a put a stand as, as a citizen against the oppression of of the state in one particular instance, you know, and and these four individuals uh, uh, they went up with the Supreme Court, sponsored by a civilian group, you know, who who are championing the legalization of drugs. Because they wanted to make the case that the current uh, anti-drug laws governing here in Mexico are against the Constitution because they go against the sovereign right of every um, adult citizen to basically choose for themselves what they want to do with their life and with their body and with their health, you know, so... Here in Mexico, nobody stops you from from going to McDonald's and ask like ten uh, major, you know, big uh, burgers and five uh, bags of French fries. You know, nobody will say, "Sir, you know, you can't, you can't do that because you're going to clog your coronaries and you are going to give yourself a heart attack." You know, nobody impedes you to do that. Nobody impedes you to go, like in the character in Living Las Vegas, go to the the closest liquor store and, you know, practically uh, filling your car trunk with every conceivable, you know, bottle of booze you can you can buy. Nobody nobody impedes you from doing that. They they will probably they obviously will for, forbid you to 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 drive under the influence of alcohol. But the thing is, what you do in the solace of your private residence, and if you are not affecting a third party, should be, you know, completely legal. And that's what, in the end, the Mexican Supreme Court ruled in favor of. Hmm. So the problem is that this isn't uh, actually like... uh, this Supreme Court ruling is not has not affected the anti drug laws. You know, the president of Mexico was really quick in pointing out to the to 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 to, 
the Mexican people, you know, in television that know, you know, this wasn't a legal a, a, a legalization of of, of uh, marijuana. The cannabis and other, uh, you know, quote unquote hard drugs are pretty much illegal still. But there's no doubt that this has opened up a long-awaited debate about how we could proceed into move and move forward to an eventual legalization of cannabis in the not the near future, but mainly mid future. Hmm. It's it's interesting to me because I just bumped into a guy in, in the sauna at the gym, and he was awesome. uh, was he cute? Uh, I didn't really look at him. I was too busy on my phone. Um, <clears throat> no, but he's talking about he just got back from Mexico, and he says how easy it is to uh, get drugs out of the pharmacy. Like basically said, if you don't have a prescription, it's an extra hundred pesos or whatever, but you can get all kinds of shit in there, like over the counter, like morphine and, oh yeah, um, and, you know, and I mean, basically like all the shit that you have to be prescribed up here. Oh yeah. I can attest to that. That's, you know, uh, depends of the, of the pharmacy, of course, you know, but there are some, uh, drug stores in which they will be much more hesitant to give you those prescribed medication if you actually don't have a recipe. But most of the time, people, uh, those uh, business tends to overlook and, you know, they they don't mind. You can say, oh, sorry, you know, I, I, I forgot my recipe or this is something that my doctor prescribed to me months ago, whatever. And I haven't managed to see them because I don't know, uh, whatever. I don't have the money to 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 pay him or whatever. And yeah, what what your friend says is true. Here in Mexico, getting those kind of uh, pharma drugs is probably a much much more easy to do than if you were in Canada or the United States. But at the same time, I think that the laws concerning the other types of substances like cannabis or or other kinds of you know opiates or psychedelic stuff are actually much more stringent and harder than in the United States and Canada. In 2009, how uh, hypocritical was, is that though? It's just it's brutal. Well. Well, what can I tell you? you know, I, I think it's uh, the result of the wave of violence that was in some measure propelled or influenced by uh, the drug cartels, you know, and, 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 and their, their import-export trade of these substances uh, out of the country or into the country. And that's why, you know, the, the, the government decided to, to, to have uh, harder laws. In 2009, there was this um, new m- modification to, to, to the, the laws concerning uh, health and, and drug dependency, you know. So basically, what they said is that if people were caught having... Uh, uh, drugs on them and it was 
uh, an amount that could be construed to be on uh, consumption that they wouldn't get uh, uh, arrested. But the thing is this, that the amounts that the law uh, rules as considered to be for uh, person, personal use are ridiculously low. Here in Mexico, for example, for cannabis sativa, for, for marijuana, it's five grams. Okay. So That's if you... So if uh, I'm not, I, I I don't know about that, you know. But if if they catch you with more than five grams, and you know, and but obviously, you think the police officer is going to have a scale <laughs> there to to know if oh well, you know, that's such four point seven. Oh, you're off the hook. <laughs> no, <laughs> but if you they, the the law says that if you have more than five grams then it's uh, up to eight years, you know, in, 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 in jail. Because they, the law says that you are what you call, we call here narcomenudista, so you are like a small drug dealer. Hmm. So I don't know if things are different in Canada. I mean, yeah, you're, you, just you, a, you're just a, a chronic user if you got that much on you. <laughs> okay. I don't even know that they'd take it away. Yeah. It's pretty lax up here now. At worst, yeah, so, I'd say they'd take it away. If you okay. had five grams, they might take it away. Yeah, so the thing is that it's interesting because there is definitely starting to be a debate here in Mexico in this, uh, not only you know with with Supreme Court, but every day in the newspapers I, I have read a letter from 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 some newspaper reader who is really concerned about oh come on the typical oh what will, will someone think of the children because they really think mexican society is really conservative in this instance they a lot of people really think that uh, open, opening up the legalization of uh, of marijuana will be uh, tremendously hazardous for society because then you know the score. You know the, this, uh, the children will go and and, and go all dubbed up, and then they will ruin their their brains, and they will become addicts. And you know, and addicts are dangerous and whatever. That's the kind of that's where the level of discussion among regular people is. <sighs> and it's going to take. A long while before that is changed, you know. Even, even doctors, you know, they're they're still, you know, giving their opinion and saying, no, you know, the government shouldn't try to go into the avenue of of legalizing drugs. It's it's going to bring up a lot of uh, terrible health problems to Mexican society. Aside from 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 the other addiction problems that we have with with the legal substances like alcohol and tobacco, you know, so 
And on the other hand, the, the, the president's hand is definitely being forced with this Supreme Court's ruling because he has no option but to say, even if he's in, not in favor of the legalization of marijuana, that he, he has no option but to open up a national debate in which he is calling upon all experts uh, to to give their professional scientific opinion. Wow. You know, in order to see whether we should really go and 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 do what United States is already doing, you know, uh, opening up the the legal use of marijuana not only for medical use but also for recreative use. Is that gutsy? But, is that gutsy for him with the cartels and stuff? I mean, wouldn't they want to keep that illegal? Oh, they they will. They, they definitely would. They definitely would. And I think that they will be the first ones to 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 try to halt the process of legalization, even though that. If tomorrow the president will say, okay, you know, from now on, all all drugs are legal, that wouldn't really much uh, eradicate the power of the cartels because they have their hands on many, many other plates. You know, they have racketeering and, and kidnapping and, and, and uh, smuggling uh, gasoline, there are many other ways in which these guys, you know, uh, make a living. Yeah, they, 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 they even, you know, traffic uh, illegal immigrants, the people who try to reach the United States coming from Central America. They fall in the hands of, 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 the, of the cartels and they exploit them, you know, that sometimes they even use them. Check this out. Sometimes they, they even uh, uh, organize gladiator styles. Uh, death matches with them. You know, they force them to, to, to fight to the death for their sick own entertainment. Wow. Yeah, and, you know, so uh, as I always, often said, not, not here, but maybe not in other platforms or in other programs, uh, the drug trafficking is not the source of the problem. It's only the most visible size of a, an even bigger problem that it, that it, it's even older than the trafficking of, of marijuana or heroin or whatever. You know, it's a problem that it stems from the deep economic and social inequalities that have that have ruled this country since pretty much we were conquered by the Spaniards. Which is? The way of the West. Yeah, well, the, 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 the way, the fact that here in Mexico, the, sec, the second wealthiest man in the world is Mexican. That needs to tell you something about the huge economical disparity between the Mexican 1% and the other 99%. You know, there are people here in Mexico that are a, a big chunk of the Mexican population. They don't even earn a dollar a, a day. Yeah. They, they have to try to make a living with that. 
And on the other hand, we have a lot of fucking corrupt politicians, a lot of fucking uh, corrupt economic monopolies who are always trying to find loopholes and try to grease the hands of, uh, of the politicians in order to keep things as they are. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mean, drug trafficking, you know, organized crime is, in my opinion, an, an, a logical outcome of capitalisms with, capitalism without uh, boundaries. You know what I mean? It's like the kind of uh, regonomics going extreme, but added with that, the violence of 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 the cartels, because obviously the, the states will will always have something that they forbid, right? You know, the prostitution, for example. This, Slavery, if you if, even if you you go to the to the streams, and if you don't have enough uh, of a of an overseeing of of of, of the markets, sooner or later there will they, someone will arise that will be willing to provide for the things that some people are are, are looking forward. You know, mm-hmm. here in this case is drugs. Uh, in the 1920s, in the United States, it was alcohol. When, when during the time of the prohibition, I'm sure that the time that you know, let's let's say that 50 years from now, all of the things that all of the drugs that are, are illegal are now legal. You know, With cocaine. The internet's illegal. May yeah, exactly. That's a that's a great example. Something in the internet will always be illegal. Something, something in, 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 will always be forbidden by the state, and that opens up a market, and that market could run out of control if uh, the conditions are ripe for it. And here in Mexico, the conditions are ripe for it because we have so much corruption in our in our system. Wow. Okay, let's switch topics here. Uh, what do you think, Darren? Before <laughs> okay. I get too, before I get too uh, heavy, too uh, heavy, too far yeah. down the rabbit hole. Too down. Yeah. Now, now you're going to lose all the DA listeners. So I knew Darren would surprise me with the UFO. Profound UFO quote of the week. All right, I got a good one here. You knew. I knew. So this is the profound UFO quote of the week. <clears throat> During the cruise from Pearl to Seattle, five of the crew had a very unusual experience. During Pearl one, Harbor? Uh, yeah. No. No. During well, one late afternoon, the sub was cruising on the surface at approximately 10 knots when the port lookout reported a strange contact at a range of two miles bearing 315 degrees relative. The lookout refused to tell the OOD, which is the officer on deck, what it was that he had seen and instead insisted that the starboard lookout and the OOD both look at that area. 
The three men looked through the binoculars toward the area reported and were astounded to see a metal craft larger than a football field tumble from the clouds into the ocean. It actually tumbled end over end when it hit the water and sank beneath the ocean. Huge geysers of water rose into the air. When the port lookout was sure that the others had seen, if he then... Then he told the OOD that he had seen it tumble from the ocean up into the clouds. Huh. Mm. The OOD and the starboard lookout were speechless. Within a few minutes, however, they all became excited when it again rose from the water and tumbled up into the cloud layer. At about the same time, a crew member below queried the bridge about a radar contact at the same range and bearing. Sonar also reported strange echoes. The OOD called for the captain to come to the bridge at that time. He also called for the camera to be sent to the bridge. The captain arrived on the bridge within two minutes and the chief quartermaster was right behind him with the camera. At about the same time, the object emerged from the clouds and fell down into the ocean. All five men witnessed this. The QMC took pictures as it rose up into the clouds and then back down into the ocean once again. The five men watched for quite a while longer, but nothing else happened. Soon the sub had moved out of visual range and the captain told all witnesses that they were never to discuss what they had seen with anyone under any circumstances. And that was from William Cooper, Navy port lookout aboard the USS Tiru submarine in 1966. Did you say Bill Cooper? Yeah. Okay, so this quote is completely invalidated by now. (laughs) Because Bill Cooper was a fucking liar. He was a guy who used to say a lot of crap that wasn't true. Too bad. Is this the same Bill Cooper? Yeah, Yeah, it's obviously the same. It's not very profound. Well, it depends. I wonder what the other four people thought. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Do you you even think that... If RPJ's rolling his eyes at you, I don't like your (laughs) chances. Sorry, Graham, but this was like the shallowest, cr- profound quote of the week. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Oh, low blow. <laughs> They're laughing at you. <laughs> oh, God. So here, I want to while we're on UFOs, I want to give a shout out to, uh, I went out with a C-SETI group in the cold in Calgary. I met. A good group, good group of people. I want to give a shout out to them. There's like 20, 22 of us out there this time. Crazy number of people. So it was a great night, beautiful night. Lots of shooting stars. Didn't really see anything strange, but um, it's interesting how we all connected, 22 of us. And the reason why is because everybody signed up for this ET, ET Contact Network app. So I'm going to link to this in the show notes. I just signed up myself. And I get a little visual of my map and where I am and all the other people that are signed up to this. So it's super easy now to connect with like-minded people people that want to go out and look for fucking UFOs. What's wrong with that? Pray, I thought we agreed on pray last time. No, you meditate. There's a protocol. I mean, you know, whatever you think about Greer personally, it's a fun thing to do. Was it fun? How much fun did you have? It was cold fun. (laughs) It was windy and cold. But, you know, we'll... The next meetup, you're going to be looking out the window. We're going to be indoors. That's okay. We'll practice. We need to be coherent as a group. Coherent. 
They need to practice. <laughs> it's true. Sounds more and more like a cult. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, so they have to shave their did head. Did you summon anything? In order to to boost the transmission. Yeah, no, we didn't see anything that night. But um, you know, I did two nights, two two times before that. I saw some flash bulbs. Did James join you? No, no. I, a couple other buddies came out. But how many of you were there? It was like twenty-two of us. That's crazy. Yeah, it was like usually there's like five or eight or ten. But I went to the people. grocery store the other day. There was like thirty. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. Anyways, I'm going to put that in the show notes for people. It's a pretty cool app. The next one is indoors. Yeah. Or practice. Either that or it's in the snow. Not, no, it hadn't snowed yet? Uh, no. Well, a little bit, but it wasn't sticking. So, so why does it have to be outdoors? That's the thing. It doesn't have to be outdoors. You're, you're praying for UFOs. No, you could still, they can come inside if, uh, you know. They're not coming. Who's they? <laughs> <laughs> whoever's piloting the craft is this heard of is this like precedent is there a precedent for them to pull over their craft and come in to well the... you could look out the window like you said and see it or they might maybe you'll see like little balls of light inside or orbs or something like that hmm. I mean honestly it's practicing the protocols I think being coherent as a group and practicing the meditation and all that would help a lot instead hmm. of being out in the cold windy park what if you what if you have uh, has any of the city groups reported uh, negative experience? Uh, no, I don't think so, Red. Hmm. Not that I know of, anyways. Hey guys, have have you listened to this uh, episode? No, it's not recent. An, an episode in Binal of America with. Two guys, one of them, Adam Davis, who is uh, something of a famous cryptozoologist. You know, he started out looking for the Orang Pendek and the um, uh, Gobi Desert, uh, Desert Worm, and, and the Mokele Membe in the yeah, Congo and whatever. I knew you were going to say Mokele Membe. So, anyway, this guy reported about a really weird experience they had last year in which, you know, but they basically saw some kind of, well, portal, for lack of a better word, in which these uh, short, stocky, black entities came out of it. And they said that the, the entities went after, the, went after them and, and tried to attack them. What did they look like? And uh, you have to listen to the to, to the episodes. You know, short, stocky black entities. What else do you need to know? Their faces. Well, they're black. They said that their eyes were red. Typical, right? You know, glowing red eyes is almost like a cliche in these cases, <laughs> and they, they seem to be really menacing. That they they're they're mouth gave an expression of uh, rage you know of being uh, really mad at them maybe they're just smiling <laughs> one, one person misunderstood yeah exactly one oh and they weren't uh, so they rushed after them because they wanted to give them a hug 
Well, what if they're laughing and they look like they're crying? I mean, that's the same thing, right? Okay. No, I'm just I'm just making fun, but but I mean, look, you ask for positive experiences in the CCI, and you're not. I mean, you know, would 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 a negative entity like that answer your 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 request for positive experiences? I don't know. But the universe always gives you what you want. That doesn't sound like real life to me, man. No, I'm not talking about the universe giving you anything. I'm just talking about... I I haven't heard of a lot of negative experiences from them. I don't know. Maybe it's something about the intention that uh, keeps the negativity away. I don't think these guys went after... Because they were looking for Bigfoot. But I don't think these guys were were there in that woods with bad intentions. And I don't know these people, but I don't think that these guys are like bad people. I think that, you know, did people have, like... Did they have guns? Were no, they, they didn't go... shooting Bigfoot? No, this yeah. guy, Adam Davis is really... They, they were with this guy who is uh, what they call in, crypt, in cryptozoological, cryptozoological circles and habituationist, you know, the guy who, who makes like a, a, a connection with Bigfoot and they give them food and, and, and they, they really try to make up a relationship yeah, that's with cool, this or, or, or at least they allege to none. Yeah. So no, they were definitely, they were definitely not going there with the intention to kill or to harm to, to right. the supposed Bigfoot. Hmm. That's interesting. <laughs> so yeah, listen to the listen to to ep, to that episode and tell me what you think. Okay, I'll link because, to that in the show notes as well. Because what's interesting is that this guy Adam Davis, he, he used to come to uh, this field as a really like the equivalent of a nuts and bolts ufologist, but for cryptozoology, is like the people who. Think of Bigfoot as a, only as a, 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 a yes, a, a non-discovered ape, a flesh and blood animal, nothing paranormal about it. But it seems that this guy has started to have all sorts of weird experiences that are forcing him to 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 appreciate or entertain this other aspect of, of, of the Fortean phenomena that maybe he never considered or, you know, he didn't even really want to pursue. <clears throat> so that's, to me, that's an interesting outcome, you know, and, and it makes me wonder what, if any, caused this change in his experiences. He doesn't talk about that? Well, he he said that he didn't even want to talk about what happened to him last year, you wow. know, though. Wow. Yeah, that he that this was something that he pretty much was planning to to take with him to the grave. Wow, really? The, the, yeah, the, he said that it was a tra- traumatic experience to him. He you listen to the to this episode and he thought he was going to die. They thought they were going to die. From Bigfoot? No, from these. They, these were these. 
these weren't they didn't think they were Bigfoot entities. They thought they were some kind of when I listened to the episode, it reminded me a lot of a few different examples from the ufological archive. One will be, you know, the Hopkins being goblins, the famous case from the 1950s. Other is the, the cases of 40, 40 midgets or 40, you know, small entities attacking people in South America. Yeah, yeah. And the other is obviously the, the things that hap- the things that happen in the famous or infamous Skinwalker Ranch. Mm-hmm. Freaky. Yeah, incredibly, incredibly freaky. Yeah, I definitely think there could be positive and negative experiences. It's it's funny how people tend to go to one one camp or the other. Yeah, but not ha ha funny. But the thing is. If if the thing if the if the playing field is even for an equal amount of opportunity of having either a negative or a positive experience, independently of your intentions, then you will think that the people in C City will, will also report report an equal number of negative experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know. I don't think I've heard of any. Have you heard of any? I mean, no. I'm, ask, I'm asking you. You know more about them than well, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I'm not too deep in there. Oh yeah, you're sure you really deep. <laughs> there's fucking plenty of negative feedback on CSA. Yeah. If you would like, I could dig something. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about negative yeah. experiences from people in CSETI, like experiencing yeah. negative encounters. Yeah, we already know that CSETI and Stephen Greer are controversial figures in ufology. But what we're uh, I'm talking here is having negative experience from the phenomena itself. Hmm. Interesting. Can I read an email, Darren? It's not a synchronicity. It's just an email from a fellow that donated to the show and we sent a shirt to him. And no. What? No. Fuck it. I'm going to read it anyways. (laughs) So this is from Jesse. We sent him a shirt and I want to thank him for the donation. Hope he likes the shirt. So he says, hey, for some reason I feel the need to share this. I've relatively recently been trying to figure it all out and follow the path throughout my life so far. Amongst the gradual liftings of the veils, being discovering like psychedelics, modern UFO phenomena, and I even count stumbling upon Grimerica as a waypoint on this path, I decided recently to start going back through the catalog and randomly pick the August 5th, 2013 episode. Wow, that was over two years ago. With, wow. Grant, with Grant Cameron to eat up my time at work tonight. To my surprise, it was completely relevant and cross-confirming to separate studies of esoteric stuff. I don't claim to have more, better, or grander knowledge than anyone, and I certainly don't have the answer, if one can ever really attain it. But mm-hmm. along the path of pursuit of it encompasses pretty much everything that Grimerica stands for. I was struck to my core at how much this episode relates to certain almost unknown set of writings I'm currently studying and attempting to understand called the raw material. That's RA, the law of one. If you guys are unfamiliar with the subject, I would highly encourage a trip down this deep ass rabbit hole. It is a set of books that can be bought, but also is freely available and it's entirely 
entirety online. Also, if you weren't enthusiastic about diving into that deep pool, I would, if nothing else, seriously recommend Googling the hidden hand dialogues, which are essentially a bottom line version of the law of one. All these things, are these things part of the truth? I can't say. Much of it resonates with me. It ties all this stuff together nicely. Maybe I haven't bought the farm on the whole package yet, but I think these things at least bear serious consideration. Give it a look in your free time and mull it over a bit. After listening to so much Grimerica, I feel confident it would be right up your alley. Thanks for your time. Yeah, I've heard of I heard of Raw before. I haven't uh, looked into it, but thanks for the email. What What can you tell us of it? Uh, nothing, nothing that uh, nothing because I. I haven't gone gone into it, but yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I just felt like that email was good to read because it's, it's, it's cool to be resonating with people that enjoy all the, the wide range of topics that we have here. And I definitely want to get into that, that raw stuff, the law of one. Maybe I like it raw. I like to talk (laughs) about that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. All right, buddy. Book somebody. Okay. Uh, what else we got? No synchros? No, we could read that review if you want. Nah, nah. fuck it. Okay. Review the show, though. It helps. Yeah, reviewing the show definitely helps. Um, so the Spam and Gram, send them your synchros and stuff, trip it, reports. It helps us get guests, too, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's. Um, I mean, we email guests. It's, uh, it's a challenge to try and book uh, somebody every week. Like tonight, for example, apologize to people in the chat room, but we had to reschedule one of our one of our guests at the last minute. So it's a bit of a back and forth, but I'm sure that reviews help, um, especially positive ones, when guests, if they get an email from us and they decide to check out the show and they see good reviews there, obviously that helps, right? Absolutely. And uh, check out grammarica.ca slash support for all the different ways to help out the show financially. Uh, help us stay ad sponsor affiliate free, no paywalls. Uh, check that out, and of course, if you can't afford to do that, uh, the best way to support the show of all is to tell people about the show. Tell a friend. Yeah, we have no uh, no other marketing other than word of mouth, so we need you guys to spread the word. Yeah, and maybe uh, next time, uh, Red, we'll get into that Paramania conference that we're talking about. So let's. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, let's do that one next time. Mm-hmm. You got it. All right. Uh, thanks, Red. I think we'll jump into the chat and with Conrad Farage and Fighting the Sky. His new movie coming out. Yeah, enjoy the chat, guys. It was a fun one. Conrad's a super cool, pretty guy. energetic guy. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Thanks, Red. We'll see you guys in the outro.
tonight in Grand America. We've got Conrad Farage with us, and he's a young film director. He's he's made uh, numerous films, like hundreds of short films, and he's made a couple feature ones. Uh, he's uh, been a, an aspiring director, and he's he's made a couple films that kind of fit within our our Grand America theme, some sort of paranormal type ones. And I uh, I bumped into into him finding out about his movie Fighting the Sky and it seemed really interesting so we thought we'd have Conrad on and talk to about his fascinating career and it's only been going for a few years but he's really uh, hitting it hard so welcome to the show Conrad. Uh, thank you guys thank you guys uh, for having me. Yeah it really uh, it really caught my attention that Fighting the Sky one so I thought we should you know have you on a chat with uh, with us. I think I read something about you wanting uh, you wanting to really follow your interest on this one, and, it, and you kind of had the uh, opportunity to to make one that you're really kind of passionate about. But I wanted to start, I guess, first because you've had quite a intense, successful, you know, start to your career, and you're only uh, you're only young. You're only in your mid twenties, I think, right? Yeah, I'm uh, twenty. I'm twenty five years old right now. So it's... you've been you've been interested in this for a while. Uh... Yeah, I mean, as far as filmmaking is concerned, I've you know I've been doing this actually for more than half of my life, if you can you know believe that. I started when I was eleven years old. You know, I picked up the camera and I couldn't put it down. And then I've been kind of you know just really fascinated with the whole you know medium. And uh, yeah, this is um, one of my passion projects. Is this fight in the sky? It's it's kind of a film that I've been that I've had in my head that I've had it for for many many years. You know, I was fourteen years old when I first came up with the idea. Of doing a film like this and uh and now i'm 25 years old and i got to execute it so it's been really exciting so can you give us a little uh, a quick synopsis of what what the film's about uh yeah it's uh basically follows well how the film starts is basically there's these apocalyptic uh type sounds uh you know appearing all over the skies all over the world it's this big kind of global frenzy that's happening around the world and and, and actually um, this is something that I incorporated later on to the story because um, I, I've been watching a couple of YouTube videos where, where a lot of people post these amateur videos of just these really weird, almost like trumpet-like apocalyptic sounds. Yeah. And uh, that really that really kind of intrigued me. I said, wow, you know, that's kind of that's neat. And um, so that's how our film starts is, you know, with these big, you know, bombastic sounds. And, uh, but, it, but it's kind of, um, you know, it's, it's actually on a big scale. It's on a big global frenzy scale. And it's all over the news and all that kind of stuff. So then the film kind of follows these young people, these like ufologists who work in this college. And uh, they're, they're set out to kind of uh, pinpoint um, like the sound. They, they develop these apps and cool gadgets and things that can actually track all the sounds in the skies, like the patterns and things like that. But little do they know that they're going to encounter something more something that they didn't really you know even realize that uh kind of existed and and then it kind of becomes this uh massive invasion film uh so it kind of mixes the intrigue and the mystery of these like sounds and then kind of halfway through the movie we start to realize oh man you know there's a couple of spaceships behind these kinds of sounds and they just have these invisible barriers so it's a it's a very it's kind of like a i always divide this kind of film into two acts the mystery and the intrigue and the character building act, which is like the first act of the movie. And then we have the second act, which we treated more of like the War of the Worlds uh, signs kind of thing. Yeah, right. big Day. alien film. Huh. Yeah, Independence Day. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, that's that's the last film that I watched before going into production was Independence Day. Perfect. Uh, which is always fun. So, yeah. so you said you had an interest in this specific film for quite a while now. So 
it's interesting to me that you you were thinking about this. Did you did you have the ap- apocalyptic sounds in there as well in your thought process, or was it more of you're thinking of an alien invasion? Because it's interesting how much how much uh, over the last five years, four years even only, there's been you know these sounds recorded yeah. all over the globe, right? Uh, yeah, no, it, it certainly was not a part of the original story that I had in my head. Uh, you know, it was something completely uh, different, honestly. But uh, as soon as all these sounds started kind of coming out on online and on different uh, news sources and things, I just thought, you know, wouldn't this be a great way to kind of implement uh, to implement this into the plot? You have to give our characters some kind of depth, you know, give them something to fascinate about, something new, something different that we haven't seen in other science fiction films, uh, you know. And uh, so that's kind of where the thought process started. Um, and I, I really didn't do anything about it when I first, uh, you know, read about these sounds. And it wasn't until about a year ago uh, that multiple people actually sent me the, the videos of, of these, uh, you know, apocalyptic sounds. That's the same video that, had all, that I had always seen. So then I was like, man, people are really interested in this. Like, this is actually like a, like a weird fascination. Then I thought, you know, I'm going to implement that into my own movie because I haven't seen that before. So how much of it is based on what you would call sort of like some truth to to what people are experiencing with these sounds or did you or did you kind of have to hollywoodize it a little bit or did you base it on <laughs> did you base it on some truth uh, there Um you know what uh I want to say that that it's almost all hollywoodized in, in a way cuz you know it all kind of comes from my my head there's really nothing that I kind of took from real life there was no real life kind of you know, inspirations. It was just kind of like, you know, fascinating, intriguing videos. Why not implement that and make it into my own kind of story, my own tale? Uh, but but there is one really strange um, occurrence that happened to me when I was very, very young uh, that I that I did implement in the actual movie. And um, I was uh, I was 12 years old and I had just moved native country, which is Honduras in Central America. Uh-huh. And I had just moved to the United States and I was living in these apartment complexes Ohio, and uh, and it, I was just I was staying with my mother. You know, it was one of those things. My 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 siblings and my stepfather had I think they went on a on a trip somewhere, and I had to stay with my mother because I had school. And uh, I remember going into my my bedroom, and I heard this this weird like rumble um, outside. And and um, and then you know I just I opened my I opened the I uh, um, opened the curtains, uh-huh. and then I swear. I saw a weird green flashing light in my backyard and then rise up into the sky. Like it was like this weird, like two seconds. And I just, I kind of stood there paralyzed, you know, and, and it was this, this really weird thing. And I, I started crying immediately. I, started, I started crying. And then I ran up to my mother and I told her that I had, I thought I saw a UFO. I thought I saw yeah, this gigantic light kind of go up into, you know, into space. And she didn't believe me. She thought I was going crazy. She called my grandmother. She made a whole thing about it. And uh, and that actually is a scene in Fighting the Sky. You oh, know, nice. someone sees something. Yeah. So I thought, you know, why not bring that back in? Well, I wondered about that, actually, you growing up in Honduras, if you guys were more open to that than, than you know, than normal families from the United States. Like if, if you, you know, your culture was more, you know. Open. Yeah. <laughs> But it yeah. sounds like, but it sounds like your mom yeah, was quite skeptical. I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, she's you know she's like a very religious type. You know, God love her. Right? You know, I love my mother, but uh, you know, it's sometimes it's one of those things where your your parent. I have active imagination as a young kid, and uh, you know that's part of the cause of why sometimes I you know have to over exaggerate things. Where I used to when I was a child, so maybe she thought that I you know I'd gone crazy. Actually, she asked me about that. 
a few months ago when uh, in the middle of filming, and, and huh. I told her, I said, you know, remember that story? You remember? Oh, we're losing you here, Conrad. Sounds like his Yeah. No, we've lost you. I'm going to just uh, disconnect and reconnect. Oh, there he is. There. Probably okay. it's better. Yeah, it's probably. Let's just try abandoning okay. the call real quick. Sometimes it, if we reconnect, okay, we're going to call you better. right back. Sounds good. Okay, thanks. Now I'll just write down some timestamps. You call him back. Yeah. Ready? Yeah. Got the time written down. Yeah. And we're back. Yes, we are back. That's and way better. Back. Yeah, we'll call that a commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you're t saying how your mom was asking you about yeah. that recently? Yeah, yeah. She was, you know, she was like, you know, like she was telling me, was that true? Did you, you know? And I told her, yeah, you know, I actually put it in the movie. She had no idea that I put that in the movie. Uh, and, uh, and I told her, reiterated that I wasn't crazy when I was told that I, you know, I did see this thing. Uh, so it's it's all kind of funny. But yeah, in my country, you know, there's a lot more uh, folklore, I guess. There's a lot more of those kind of weird supernatural things uh there's a there's a, um, a legend known as the weeping woman which is very famous uh in our in our country um and uh yeah it's i mean it, it, i kind of always grew up with these kinds of tales you know uh, of aliens and the uh you know weird creatures in the night and things like that the black dog uh so i've always kind of it's, it's something that always triggered my imagination when making films hmm. but this was actually the first film of mine that i that i considered very personal because it was about a subject that I found extremely interesting. Right. You know, I'd made I made other kinds of movies. I made you know little dramas and and, and action things and you know and, and and other horror films, but I've never really explored uh, science fiction, which is my favorite genre. I've never really explored like aliens and, and the mystery of of UFOs and things like that. So I kind of uh, was really really into this project. Hmm. So did you, did you ever think have to think about the impact it would have on people that are interested in this subject? Because it could, it could the way I look at it, it could do two things, right? It could bring a, a whole bunch more awareness around it, or it could also bring um, a, a discredit to the phenomena of like sky sounds and all that, right? It's just like how you know Men in Black kind of discredited, discredited the whole Men in Black mm -hmm. um, reality. Are you, yeah. are you accusing Conrad of being <laughs> not disinformation at all. No, agent? Not at all. <laughs> Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's an interesting point. I, you know, and, and that's certainly something that I that I uh, had in my head while I was making Fight in the Sky was, uh, uh, you know, how do I not make this kind of over the top? How do I how do I ground this in reality? Uh, you know, to where uh, you know people who are really into you know ufology and you know and, and um, aliens and all that kind of stuff and that kind of culture, uh, you know, how do I make this seem real? How do I make this seem like a real situation without kind of making it campy? And, you know, and, and that's one of the things that, that me as a filmmaker that I did a lot of research on. And, you know, everything that I saw, I was like a sponge. I just kind of, you know, <laughs> took that in. I, was, I would watch every kind of movie, every kind of short film about science fiction. What did they do right? What did they do wrong? You know, how do I not do this? Uh, and that's kind of what, that was my approach when directing it. You know, everything was very subtle. Everything just was kind of maintained. It was very grounded. Was, so, there, was there some of those uh, specific things that you learned like do, can you talk about a couple of the films that you saw that you're like i don't want to do it that way for sure or or um uh yeah no for sure uh, one of the one of the films that actually i found incredibly inspiring when making this was actually signs and yeah. my family on signs you know i thought that was just so brilliantly done uh because you know we we hardly ever we never see a spaceship in that movie 
we kind of contain our characters in a house. And it's all done through dialogue. Like the whole execution of the film is through dialogue, through suspense, through mystery, through intrigue. And those are some of the elements that I wanted to, to kind of use myself. I mean, even, even when they're fighting off like the alien in, in that basement scene, you don't even cut to them fighting the alien. You, you stay on the child kind of on the ground, you know, slouched down. And, and that, you know, and then I think it's honestly scarier what you can't see sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Almost, yeah, almost like in Jaws, you know, you don't see the shark, you know, you, you see his <laughs> point of view. And uh, so that was, just, you know, I thought something that I kind of also kept in mind while mm. directing Fight in the Sky. Hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I did a lot of crazy research. Close Encounters being another fantastic film, uh, which I took a lot of inspiration from. You know, and the way that they built up, you know, uh, up up until the finale in Devil's Tower. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just you know, it's a lot about uh, the pacing for me. It's a lot about the pacing and how to build the characters and how to, you know, um, you know, connect the dots, so to speak. Did you ever so. Did you ever start wondering really what uh, in in reality here, what people are hearing in the sound. Cause it, I I've paid attention a little bit to it, but I, I haven't gone into a lot of, a lot of depth, like researching it, but it seems like the, the typical uh, skeptical answer or mm-hmm. some of the, the so-called rational explanations seem more ludicrous than, well, actually I shouldn't say that cause there's a lot of ludicrous claims as well. <laughs> you know, yeah. Angels and their trumpets or whatever. But uh, have mm-hmm. you thought about what the, what that could actually be? Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I thought long about this, you know, like, you know, what, what is it exactly, you know, what's making these sounds and, and it's something kind of, you know, it's, it, cause obviously no one has an answer. So I, I said, you know what, in, in my movie, how about no one has an answer in my movie too? You know, how about we have all these different characters and they can't, and they're always arguing, they can't actually figure out what it is. So as you watch the film, you get all these different answers, which is almost the same as my point of view because i have no idea what those sounds can be so you know so we have character a and character b here discussing the situation they have no idea ultimately you know it's you know obviously ufos and things like that but uh but yeah it's definitely uh, a topic that we we heavily discuss in the film and uh and for the most part they think it's it's you know weather balloons or, or you know uh aerial experiments and things like that hmm. yeah so, or, or like uh underground swamp gas yeah swamp gas yeah underground <laughs> underground trains and like even even the pe- i've heard people say that some of it is just like uh you know mines and machinery from you know sounds getting blown around in the wind it seems a little ridiculous yeah. to me but yeah there's just there's just so many different things that it could be and honestly i mean it could be any of those in real life you never know so go ahead darren you it's question? got something to do with the atmosphere you think so mm-hmm. good yeah maybe. it could be could be huh so have you uh has your interest gone up or down making the film of it has it re-inspired your uh your love uh, for ufos uh actually uh yeah i mean it reignited a fire while i was doing it honestly in my interest uh i have been <laughs> you know in my in my head every time i go on a film set i kind of embrace it and i kind of become a part of it i become part of that atmosphere i become a part of of, of that mood, that mindset. So my mindset throughout the entire summer this year was just UFOs, aliens, science fiction, you know, like that's what I kind of, you know, I woke up every morning and I'm like, okay, I got to go film. I got to go do this. I got to go write the movie. I got to go do all these things. Um, so it actually, in a, in a way kind of, yeah, reignited uh, my passion um, that I, that I've always had uh, for, for aliens and UFOs. And, and that passion started with, uh, honestly, when I was very young with ET and, um, and uh, yeah, no, it kind of right now as as we're slowing down, as as we're in post production, as we're editing the movie, 
you know, now I'm kind of like taking a breath. Now I'm like, okay, you know, I gotta relax. Uh, you know, I can't be thinking about, you know, UFOs and aliens anymore. I've done what I had to do. You know, I directed the movie. Um, you know, there's nothing else I can do now. We, you know, we're done with reshoots. Now we just put it together. Now we're just, you know, piecing it together. Uh, but but for the longest time, you know, all of summer, I I was really uh, kind of a you know a UFO uh, alien kind of geek. <laughs> I so love was, how I love how open you are about it. It's, it's refreshing. Well, so, <laughs> how long is the post production process? Um, with this film, we're hoping to have a cut by uh, either late December or early January. We're editing the film in Ohio right now and doing the sound mix in Ohio. We're scoring the film in Amsterdam. Uh, we're doing the visual effects in New York. It's kind of like this crazy uh, process. It's very complicated. To, you know, a lot of people involved, and we're all communicating via email and Facebook. And, you know, and, and it's just kind of this, this strange process. But um, hopefully, we'll have the first cut in January. And we have we want to have the the actual like the cut cut like the official cut by by March, so we can start submitting it to a couple of festivals. I think. Uh, Toronto is one of the first festivals that uh, me and the producers talked about uh, submitting to. And also there's a fantastic fest in Austin, Texas, which is uh, in September. So well, if you're going to do March, you might as well shoot for my birthday. What's that? Might, might as well. It's a 10th. <laughs> so, so when you, when you had to choose the, the actors, um, did you take that into consideration, like their belief system? Cause you know how you're talking about invo- like getting fully immersed in that, the mood and the feeling of the, of the yeah. show is that something you had to take in, into consideration uh you know not too much um i i really well the whole the, one of the big challenges of the film actually this was like the biggest challenge uh of my entire filmmaking career is uh we decided to go improv with fighting the sky uh-huh. and uh it, and and let me tell you it caused a lot of headaches a lot of uh, you know <laughs> tears and you know lots of self-loathing sometimes uh, because it is incredibly complicated making a film of this caliber improv, you know, with all the visual effects and with all the complicated dialogue. Uh, it's it was very very tough. And uh, when I was casting for Fighting the Sky, you know, yeah, I picked some actors that uh, that were well versed or or versed enough in um, you know in those subject matters. But I also picked actors who were really really good at improv and who I trusted. To kind of even bullshit a couple of things, you know, maybe I would write down some notes where I would say, hey, you know, say this or talk about this or, you know, take a look at this and, you know, try to say this kind of thing. But it was it was very complicated sometimes. It was very grueling. Lots of takes. Did you have to fire a couple of people before it was all said and done? <laughs> uh, you know what? Uh, but, you know, I, I did. Yeah, I, 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 I did have to I did have to replace a couple of people, which was not an easy thing to do. It's never an easy thing when you're, you know four or five days into filming and then you got to tell someone, you know, I don't think so. I'm sorry. So um, how, how much was scripted then? How much of this, was, how much of this was from the hip? Uh, I would say that, uh, I would say maybe 15% was scripted. Wow. If that, uh, so it was a good chunk. We, we improv. I mean, the whole, the whole story was structured by me. So I spent, you know, uh, two or three months structuring the story and we had like, uh, like a 20 page kind of treatment sort of thing. And uh, then the actors would, would follow the story. So we would rehearse, we'd get to the set, you know, they'd be lighting or whatever, the team would be lighting, they'd be setting up the cameras. And then I would kind of take my actors and I'd say, okay, let's talk about this scene. Let's talk about the pacing. Let's talk about we have to, what we have to accomplish, you know, the emotions that have to come across during this scene, uh, you know, and then, you know, and then we, re- we would rehearse for about, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, uh, sometimes less than that. And then we would do it. So, so crazy. do you have, do you think it, uh, would you change it next time or would you do that again? 
Uh, I certainly don't want to do it again on a, on a <laughs> film that has that many visual effects. Because when we start when we started getting into like the big visuals and all oh, that yeah, stuff, that I mean, could get giant expensive spaceship. Everybody blows it. Yeah. So it was, and, you know, and 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 time is always of the essence when we're when we're trying to shoot a movie like this, and it's a very expensive movie to, to me. And you know, as an independent filmmaker, uh, you know, we, we try to make the most with what we have. So it's very tough sometimes. But I don't think I would direct another film like this without a script. Uh, maybe a drama or maybe like a, like something small. Um, I think I would be more open to doing more improv. But I mean, I, I love improv because you get more organic performances. You get more realistic, uh, you know, kind of things from the actors. And, and you know, it kind of comes from their brain, from thinking quick and fast and on their feet. But at the same time, you know, it causes a, a big pain for my editor, <laughs> Um, who I think hates me right now because we have so many different takes, uh, you know, of the same scene. Um, but it's also, you know, kind of grueling when you don't know the subject matter or, or when the subject matter is very uh, difficult. Huh. So, so, so how about the shadow? How about how about the shadow people one? Was that uh, you, you made that? Was that how it sounds like? Was that based on people's encounters with uh, shadow people? Uh, with Shadow People, uh, yeah, yeah, when I did that film, I, uh, we had to do, I did a lot of research. Again, that was my first feature film, so I had to do a lot of extensive research. Uh, and I talked to, so I, I talked to people who had apparently, uh, you know, experienced, uh, you know, Shadow People in their sleep or, you know, in the middle of the night, things like that. And, uh, you know, I, we did a lot of research when we wrote that film. And, um, that was very interesting because that was my, kind of my first take on the whole supernatural thing. And, and I honestly, you know, being just blunt with you, I don't think I did it justice. Um, I think the movie was just a little bit too long. You know, it's 139 minutes. And I, and I guess it was almost like my own film school uh, hmm. at that point. It was like my own, okay, I'm going to take, uh, you know, people that I know that, that you know, would want to spend a couple of weekends doing this film with me and, and kind of, you know, tell my own story. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a whole different process doing Shadow People than, say, something like Fighting the Sky, completely different. Plus you were like, what, like 16? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, I was 19. I was 19 when I, when I did Shadow People, you know, and uh, we had a couple of premieres. I mean, we screened at a couple of theaters in Ohio, and it was kind of cool. Like, I mean, the whole experience is very cool because uh, I was actually in college at the University of Toledo, and, um, and, and uh, you know, I was doing schoolwork, but the teachers, the professors, not to, you know, uh, demean the school or anything, but the, the teachers didn't like the fact that I was making a feature film. They wanted me to super, you know, focus on like the studies and all these things. And uh, they were trying to teach me how to edit. And I'm like, you know, I've been editing for so many years. You don't have to teach me this. And, you know, uh, so I would always, I would do my assignments and I would, you know, go to class and all that, but I would still get like, oh, see me after class kind of thing. Uh, so at one point, you know, I was in the middle of filming Shadow People. Professor was like, "Okay, Connor, you're done. You have to pick. Either you got to focus on your schoolwork, or you got to focus on your on your campy movie." And that's when I just, you know, told the professor, "I said, f you, I'm not coming back here. You know, good luck with your class." And uh, and I walked away, and and I never went back to school. <laughs> and uh, and then I uh, I dropped a ticket to the premiere under her door. Um, you know, a week before the premiere of Shadow People, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> so so did you getting all these um, accounts from people? Like I, because I find personal experiences fascinating. Because you know mm -hmm. we don't we don't give them enough credit in this culture, and and I know yeah. people that I people that are close to me that have like uh, you know those incubus shadow people like nighttime dream experiences. Darren, go, Darren's yeah. rolling his Aren't eyes they here. Succubuses usually. Succubus, no succubus is the the female Which that one? attacks the male, and the incubus is the male that attacks the female. So did you did you come away with any personal thoughts on what's going on there with that too? 
kind of in a way I didn't learn as much and I wish I would have, you know, I was, I guess, I guess I was too sidetracked with trying to tell maybe a different kind of story that somewhere in the process, I think I lost the element of, of the supernatural that I was originally trying to tell. Did it turn into and, a horror? I mean, it is a horror film, yeah. uh, but, but, uh, but I think it's just sometimes it's too long and, and we focus too much on other different stories. Uh, you know, and it, it has a lot of elements of, uh, satanic cults and things like that. Um, that somewhere in the mix, I think I lost the objective of, of, of the actual beings that I was trying to tell a story about, which is the, you know, the shadow people. Hmm. Um, how, however, however, I, I want to say that I gained a lot of knowledge while doing the movie, and not only about filmmaking, but also about, you know, uh, the shadow people, because I, I did so much research, I did so much preparation. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, I think, um, I don't think uh, I was as inversed in, um, in the, the supernatural elements. Have you ever had any experience with shadow people? Uh, you know, uh, no, I don't think I have. I, 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 I want to, you know, I really, really? want to. But, Careful uh, what you wish for. That's true. That's true. Uh, but no, not myself. I, I talked to a lot of people who, um, who said that they, that they had, I did a lot of research and, uh, but not myself, unfortunately. Did you ever, I've got a question here from somebody that's hanging out in the studio here. James Nation want to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> what was your name again? And Nads. And Nads. Yeah. Uh, awesome show last Saturday. I'll talk more about that next time. Anyways, he's got a question about Mothman equals the shadow people. Did you have anybody uh, uh, anybody make that correlation between Mothman and shadow people? Uh, I had a couple. Of, I had a couple of people mention that to me actually, which was really interesting. Uh, but uh, you know, I. Uh, Honestly, like there, someone wanted me to make a Mothman movie instead of, of of Shadow People. They really meant they really wanted me to sell me on the idea of doing a Mothman movie, uh, but I never really looked into it too much. Uh, maybe next time. Yeah, maybe next time. You know, <laughs> that could be that could be the follow up. Yeah, I've got a I've got a really interesting question for you here. Unless Darren's got a Darren, you got something pressing you want to ask? No. What did I give you that impression? Yeah. Okay. No, so um, so what are you gonna do, Conrad, when when you mm-hmm. get approached by uh, the Department of Defense or the CIA to exchange, you know, military hardware for your movies for like some script control? Oh wow, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do when that happens. It, it, it's a uh, it's a scary thought, honestly. Like those things freak me out. Like when I was actually doing, um, when I was originally uh, conceiving Fighting the Sky. I wanted to also. I, I think I had. I think how I'm going to market the movie way before I make the movie, right. or even thinking about making the movie. And I'm thinking, okay, I want to. I want to prank people with this. I want to make like a like a weird poster, uh, you know, uh, with like a, a phone number, you know, and and, um, and kind of prank people with like to say like the poster is going to say, "Don't call this number," or you know, they're listening or something. The sounds are being heard everywhere, or just something really abstract and cryptic, just so I could, you know, post it online and and have people call that number, and it would be like this really like funny prank call or something. Uh, and uh, and I and then I googled. I said, "Okay, funny prank numbers," and then I found on, on, on Yahoo Answers, someone said, "Oh, this is the best number to call," you know, funny prank. And I said, "Okay, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna call this one to see what it's all about, then I can put that in the poster." So I called it. And it happened to be the FBI. <laughs> uh, so so uh, I've been paranoid ever since then that they're listening or something. They're so probably it's, listening it's, now. They Actually, probably no, that's are. the NSA, right? That's all of them, Darren. <laughs> all yeah. of them? Yeah. This is not the Canadian. We don't have the technology. <sighs> uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> 
So, so would you consider though? Like, would you consider trading some goods for uh, for giving them some control over your script? Uh, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't want anyone to control my script. I yeah. don't know. I had a feeling a, you'd say that, but so you want to blow out some tanks and shit? Yeah. Was this the biggest budget <laughs> you've ever worked with? Then, um, it uh, there was there's another film uh, that has similar range and budget, which is called uh, The Wind Is Watching. And uh, we did that in 2000, uh, 2012, and uh, that one's about the same. We spent about forty five grand on both of these projects. They kind of go hand in hand, so it's it's been it's been interesting. Uh, and the Windows Watching was a different kind of story. That was a, a post apocalyptic story about uh, the scarcity of water in the world and the military taking over and uh, informing these different like sectors throughout the throughout the the United States and things like that. And, so that was a is is more like a Hunger Games type of movie, hmm. uh, so to speak. Uh, but yeah, this is I mean this certainly is the biggest undertaking that I've had is is fighting the sky as far as scale. Have you ever thought about doing any like anything documentary style? Um, documentary, you know, uh, yeah, I've I've you know every so often I get ideas about uh, documentaries, but I, I guess I never execute them because I always I'm so drawn to narrative you know, feature filmmaking, but, uh, I always like to implement, um, kind of part documentary to my movies or, or interviews and things like that. I produced a film back in 2013 called young harvest. And that was kind of like found footage part documentary. And, uh, I always loved that style. I always think that it's very intriguing. Uh, even, even the movie interstellar, uh, opened with like a documentary type of thing with a bunch of interviews. And I thought that was very, very interesting. So I've always thought about dwelling into documentaries and you know and doing things like that, but I've never really, you know, had the chance to do one. What's next after Fighting the Sky? Uh, yeah, for Fighting, we're uh, right now we're still in the middle of the edit. We have a wonderful editor, uh, Christian Pokrivka, in uh, in Toledo, Ohio, assembling the cut, and uh, and then at the same time we're doing the sound mix. Uh, who my my DP is also doing the the sound mix in in Findlay, Ohio. His name is Greg Kraus. Uh, so once we have that assembled, um, and and at the same time we're actually doing the visual effects, we're sending some of the rough cuts to uh, to our guys in New York doing the effects. But once all that's finished, once you know, once I say okay, this is the movie, this is what it's going to look like, uh, then we send that over to our composer um, in the Netherlands. Uh, his name is uh, Jochem Wering, and uh, he'll be scoring it in December. And hopefully by January, you know, mid January, late January, we'll have something that we can actually see and. Uh, and then send it off to, to festivals, to the American film market, to whoever is interested. And then, and then, do you have a long list of, of stuff you're interested in that you're going to be, you know, making films of after that? Uh, yeah. I have the I, feeling. I, always, I have the feeling you got like a whole bunch of like, yeah, you know, like you a know, list, a list on your nightstand of a bunch of projects <laughs> that you want to do. Yeah, I always have. Yeah, I, there's just so many things that you, you you know that we can explore with, with movies and it's just always such a struggle because you have to commit to something uh you know you commit to something for like a you know like a year you know sometimes a year and a half so it's kind of grueling to think that you're going to be stuck with this idea and you have to kind of follow it through uh but sometimes what i like to do is is to do some of uh micro projects you know which are very low budget projects in the five to ten thousand dollar range and kind of do those on the side uh you know and then do the the, the bigger scale movies like the forty to fifty thousand dollar movies and then you know do these these smaller ones that i can kind of you know, dwell on for a couple of weeks and, you know, in touch and then kind of focus on other things. And, uh, but yeah, I have a, I have a couple that, uh, that I've been developing, uh, as of now, we have a, a couple of projects for next year. Um, that'll be very, very interesting. Are they all sort of fringy, fringy like these ones? 
Uh, they're actually uh, they're very different than, than 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 these. I mean, there's a drama that I'm that I'm developing for mid next year called The Rink, and uh, The Rink is um it's basically about a a shooting. It's it's kind of like this uh, this really um, crazy one long take drama uh, following a couple of different characters uh, throughout this big scenario, and then ultimately how they all connect. These all these characters is, is in this big shooting that happens. Uh, it's all very similar to the movie Elephant by Gus Van Sant, uh, which I think is an amazing, incredible film. Uh, and uh, this is a, a very ambitious. The rink is a very ambitious thing for me because it'll be done basically in a couple of takes. So it would be like one long 10 minute take following one character, then another long 10 minute take following another character, and somehow intertwine all the characters somehow. Hmm. Uh, so it's been very, uh, it's been very ambitious the writing that we're doing on that project. Hmm, that's interesting. What what are some of the things that you you're passionate about outside of film? Um, or, <laughs> or is it all about the film? You know, honestly, I can't think of a damn thing that I that I enjoy more than than films. I mean, I oh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that before because um, that's all I talk about. You know, I wake <laughs> up and I start. To, you know, I go to my roommates. I'm like, hey, let's watch. Let's talk about this movie. Or, you know, let's do this. Uh, but no, I. Uh, Gosh. Okay. I, I so, like travel. so what? Cool. Okay. What about um? What are but some of the films that have inspired you the most, or what? What are your favorite? What's your favorite genre? Uh, favorite genre would have to be um probably uh, the the fantasy adventure genre, uh, which and I and I consider like Lord of the Rings and like the Harry Potter films to be that, you know, it's it's almost like the the epic genre, like this, you know, big spectacle, uh, King Kong type of thing. I mean, that's like my favorite. That's something that I've always wanted to try but uh but i still think I, i'd need more you know more knowledge i need more films to to be able to to create movies on that scale uh but that's like my favorite john i mean some of the films that i love that i enjoy are king kong is, is one of them um the shining i think is like an epic horror film i think that's like the horror film um and uh jaws is, is another one jaws i've had in my list for like last you know 10, 15 years. Hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, there's a couple others. I mean, Ed Wood is one that I really enjoy. Casablanca, Citizen Kane, Rosemary's Baby is one. Just a couple of different uh, different ones. Hmm. So eventually, eventually, though, you would like to, to make it to uh, directing one of these big epic ones? Uh, yeah, eventually. I mean, that's, that's always been my goal since day one. You know, when I said, you know, I'm going to be a filmmaker, I grabbed my stepfather's video camera. I said, you know what, someday I'm going to make one of these big, big event movies. And that's kind of been the goal. And obviously no one's going to give me that amount of money. I mean, who's going to give this kid, you know, millions of dollars. So I decided to, to make, you know, uh, movies on a bigger scale with a small budget and hopefully impress people enough that I'll be hired to direct, you know, one of the, the bigger films, the the big studio films. Yeah, yeah, just do it on your own and and get the yeah. uh, creds that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of filmmakers have, have you know, kind of stepped into Hollywood that way. I mean, Gareth Edwards did it with Monsters. You know, that was a low-budget uh, improv uh, monster movie, and it was amazing. And that went to South by Southwest, and, uh, you know, that was very inspiring to me. I mean, I mean, if you look at if you look at other filmmakers have done crazy things, even George Lucas, when he first did Star Wars, I mean, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of crazy, you know, doing a film of that scale for, you know, seven, eight million dollars or whatever. Hmm. So it's yeah. Are you still you in, never in, know. Are you still in Ohio right now? Uh, no, I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, you did move. You did go to L.A. Yeah. Yes. You yes. find it easier there? Uh, 
Yes and no. Um, and uh, yes, because you make a lot of connections here. You meet a lot of fascinating people. You meet a lot of investors here. Uh, and uh, everything's a lot faster paced in Los Angeles, which is cool. <laughs> you know, it's a cool energy. Uh, uh, but when it comes to making films, uh, I don't recommend it because it's very expensive, yeah. uh, which is what I learned. You know, when, when I was trying to budget Fighting the Sky to shoot in Los Angeles, it was an astronomical budget. And I, you know, and I said, I can't do this movie here. So I'm going to take the movie to Ohio where I know I can blow up buildings and I can, you know, close down roads and intersections and pull in military trucks and do all these crazy motorcycle stunts and do all this crazy, crazy, you know, uh, scenes for, for almost no money. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's, you know, most of my films that I, that I do are definitely, um, you know, not going to be done here in LA because of, you know, the like crazy costs. Yeah. Did you have any cool synchronicities or any cool uh, paranormal things happen while you were filming the filming this one or Shadow People? Um, no, not particularly on 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 fighting uh, on Shadow People. I mean, that was a very heavy film set to, to be on, uh, and, uh, and and that one is is crazy because we had a lot of um, we we filmed the final act of Shadow People in uh, my my mother's living room, and uh, we we put a lot of sixes on the wall, so we would rip out pages of notebooks and things, and we would just like you know uh, write the 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 number six, and we would just tape all these like book pages all over the walls. It's a gigantic living room, um, and we would have like the main the the villain who. Uh, played like this like satanic uh, character kind of like do this like devil worshiping ritual uh, and uh, honestly like the vibes that I get when I go into my mother's living room now are just very very crazy they're very very heavy uh, she actually had to she had a priest come in and bless the house last year actually because uh, uh, it's just a weird vibe you know going into that living room it's really really strange and uh, there's another film that I did um, in 2000, end of 2013, that actually we're still in post-production on. It's a gigantic movie. It's a, it's a horror suspense film called Colony 52. And that one was actually my second attempt. My, my, I think, I th honestly, like my, my good attempt at uh, cults. And, uh, and that movie follows a false preacher who kind of uh, brainwashes this town into doing mass suicides. And, uh, you know, to worship Satan. And it's this really, really dark uh, film. And on that particular set, so much crazy shit happened. It, it is insane. Uh, like a cross fell in my head. Um, at one point in the movie, we were shooting a scene. I was doing the camera operating. I, I had the camera on a shoulder rig, this really heavy camera. And uh, we were in this, in, in this bedroom. And we had a bunch of cult members, like fake cult members, kind of all these extras. And we had someone playing the devil kind of in the middle with a big mask. And, uh, you know, and I was on the bed. And then one of the extras asked me, he goes, hey, Conrad, is this the most comfortable you, you've been in all day? You know, because I was, you know, resting on, um, you know, on this bed. And then I said, you know, oh, my God, yeah, it is. And as soon as I said the word God, this cross that we had kind of taped, <laughs> you know, on the wall just falls on my head. And, oh, my God, I, I almost passed out. Like, it was a very, you know, heavy prop. And that was really crazy. And um, and then other things that happened on, on that film set, um, I was editing the trailer for Colony 52, and I was actually doing the color grading, which is where I kind of clean the image and make it look nice and everything. And I had all the speakers off and you know, all the audio was off. And then I hear like a like a like a whisper, like this very like slight whisper. And then through my speakers was a Christian radio playing. It was this preacher 
you know, talking about, you know, like how, how we can't abandon God and all these things. And I'm like, oh, my God, like this is this is crazy. Like this is insane. Like that, that was a that was a really uh, those were some freaky experiences, um, you know, on, on those films. And there's a couple of things that happened. I can't quite remember right now, but that was a very heavy set to, to be on. And uh, we actually prayed after the incident with the with the cross. We actually prayed every day on set before <laughs> filming. So, are you yeah. pretty religious, or just your your mother? You're, you obviously you're raised religious. Yeah, I was I was raised, uh, you know, Catholic. It was very religious, and I'm I'm still to some extent religious. I don't go to church, you know, but I, I I'm still kind of religious, you know. Uh, but uh, but I, not not to a point where where I'm scared to kind of you know explore it in my films. You know, I'm not scared to explore both sides of good and evil in my movies because I think that's something that's real, you know, in the world. And uh, but yeah, my mother definitely doesn't like the fact that I do these movies. She always tells me, when are you going to make a comedy? You know, when are you going to do all these things? And then I'm like, no, you know, I'm, I'm really into this. I really want to, you know, explore this uh, story or, you know, or this subject matter because I'm intrigued by things that scare me or things that I, that I don't understand. And I'm, I'm more drawn to those kinds of tales and those kinds of uh, movies. So does your mom uh, so does your mom think that you put a ghost in her living room? Uh, honestly, yeah, I think so. I think she, she, you know, and she, she told me she had this dream because she was sleeping in the living room. She fell asleep on the couch. She had this dream, uh, that, uh, basically that the house was like falling, uh, or, or like getting destroyed or something. And like the devil was like holding me or something. It was this really creepy, you know, dream that she was telling me. And then that's when she had that priest come in and kind of bless the house and stuff. And, and it's just kind of really strange. Uh, I mean, a lot of strange occurrences that I guess did happen on shadow people as well. Because my my lead actress um, got uh, diagnosed with arthritis in the middle of filming, and uh, and and that was really really kind of strange. And uh, and our our second lead, uh, bless his soul, passed away uh, a year after filming. Uh, his name is Peter Marquardt, fantastic fantastic actor um, from from Texas. So it's a lot of a lot of strange strange things. And and when I try playing the trailer on YouTube, it always goes black. Uh, like like the black images just kind of flash flash by on the theatrical trailer. I think I took it down because uh, there was some kind of malfunction with it. Really, really strange. That is weird. On on the most negative movies that you've made, you have the most uh, crazy crazy encounters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, and I just recalled one on on Colony. Actually, yeah, when we were filming in a church, we were filming this this church sequence where like we were gonna have this false preacher kind of preach to the town. Uh, our camera, our black magic camera, literally would not turn on. You know, we had two different batteries. You know, we had just filmed the night before, and our camera, like it would, you know, it would film and then it would just like shut off and then it wouldn't turn on for like three or four minutes. And and it would just, it would constantly happen at you know inside this church to a point where I'm you know I don't know if I even got everything that I shot because then I would play it back and it, and it would cut it out like halfway through. So actually, in the trailer, I used a portion of that scene. Because it has uh, a lot of the dialogue in the trailer is from that scene, and I could barely cut it together. In fact, I could barely see my actor's face. You, we only have the shots from you know from his back and from the crowd. Uh, so it's just kind of really, really interesting, really strange things that have been occurring. Does that does that make you want to do more positive films? <laughs> Certainly, that kind so. of scare me. I mean, it would it'd yeah. scare me a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. And, uh, you know, that's why I kind of made Fighting the Sky because I said, you know, what could happen with, you know, with aliens and oh, UFOs geez. and things? <laughs> so, you get uh, probed. You ever think yeah, of that? We, 
that would be very unfortunate, uh, you know, if, uh, if that were to happen. But uh, not that yeah, there's no, anything I, wrong with that. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, you know, honestly, um, you know, science. This this other subject matter, science fiction, I think, is a lot uh, more easygoing, and, and the film has a lot of comedy. Fight in the Sky has a lot of comedy, which I liked. Uh, so it was definitely a, a change of pace for me after doing all these really dark movies. Nice. <laughs> so. Right on. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing it when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, it should be cool. Uh, you know, the, the trailer, I think, should be coming out early next year, we're hoping, anyway. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting, and we're going to post that uh, online. Right on, buddy. Well, we want to we wanna give you a chance to say anything else or um, ask anything before we uh, start wrapping it up. Uh, no, yeah, you know, just, uh, you know, look out for, you know, for fighting. We're going to be, uh, hopefully also dropping the poster in December. We've been developing the poster right now and we have four designs that we're kind of tinkering with. So, uh, yeah, should be, a, there, should be a fun time. Did I miss, is there a trailer for, for it out yet? Not quite. December is coming no. out. Yeah. 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 I saw so. a tweet. I saw a tweet that you're, you're, you're coming pretty close on the trailer. Like it's coming together pretty good. Yeah, we're yeah we're cutting together the trailer right now. Well, I, I guess uh, maybe I'm not allowed to say that information yet. But yeah, we have been <laughs> cutting. Uh oh, <laughs> but we have been uh, playing around with with footage, and it's looking quite formidable. And uh, a lot of different things will be released throughout the next couple of months. What's well, your sure. film? Catch you? Can you get in trouble for talking about your own stuff? Uh, well, we have producers from all over the world, uh, and, and they try to keep a level of secrecy. We actually have producers <laughs> from, from, from China. We have producers from Central America. We have all these different investors who have this like, st- like strict plan uh, as far as marketing and as far oh, as like yeah. the execution of the movie. It's actually a very you know, strict kind of thing that, to, to a point where you know, if I'm directing something else or you know, doing other projects, you know, I, I, can't, you know, I can't take those on because um, I'm under contract with them on, on fighting. Right, so right, it's, right. It's, yeah, so it's kind of it's yeah, kind of makes uh, sense. Well, but but yeah, no, I mean it's it's good. You know, it's good to have that too because then you get kind of sidetracked. You know, if I was my own, <laughs> you know, per, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna finish this movie. You know, when I have time, I'm gonna go write this other thing and yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, huh. yeah. Well, thanks for being so open about it as well, then. And uh, oh, absolutely. And, and make sure you keep us in the loop on when all the stuff comes together. And we'll, and yeah, we'll, send we'll us the trailer, and, and we'll throw it on the YouTube channel. Yeah, 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 yeah most certainly. So that'd be that'd be that'd be awesome. Right on, buddy. Well, we look forward to talking to you again soon in a year or two when you're uh, you're hitting a big in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Graham, Graham, we want to make Graham an extra in some <laughs> someday. So keep him in mind if he needs someone to get blown up. Darren or... just wants me to get probed on film. Oh, I think. yeah, we'll do it on fight, fight in the Sky too. We'll 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 do that then. Graham gets cool. probed. <laughs> 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 Where can our listeners track you down? Are you on the Twitter and Facebook and all that? Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, Snapchat. Uh, so uh, they can look up uh, Conrad Studios, and uh, you can find all of our stuff. Right on, buddy. Perfect. What about all your movies? Uh, yeah, we have a website, ConradStudiosOnline.squarespace.com, uh, or on YouTube, uh, YouTube.com backslash Conrad Studios. And uh, as far as like our feature films... Uh, you know, if they really want to see shadow people, I can send it to them because I, I didn't feel like that. Uh, I mean, we got a couple distribution offers for that particular project, but uh, uh, I never really wanted it to be released. That right. was more of an exercise for me. Uh, but if they want to see it, I can definitely send it to them. Um, as far as our other projects, uh, we're, we're just about to, to make some sales here. Uh, so they'll be available uh, actually early next year is our, our first one uh, that we're going to be releasing. So it should be great. Can you send it to us? 
Yeah, absolutely. I'll send you, I'll, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll send you guys shadow people. We'll watch that before we watch Monty Python <laughs> so that we don't have to go to bed scared. <laughs> uh, perfect. perfect. Right on, buddy. Well, thanks for coming uh, on. Really appreciate right. it. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, Conrad. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. We may have lost the battle, but not the war. And that was our chat with Conrad Farage, a filmmaker. How'd you like it? Yeah, it was, it was great. I liked it. I liked how open he was and, and how it was refreshing that he was just open with his experiences. And yeah, I liked the, his uh, sort of pick of, of movie genres. I don't know. I think he's going to be a popular dude in the future. A name to watch. Yeah. There you go. Definitely. You heard it here first. Yeah. I saw a little trailer on Twitter actually today. It was like a mini trailer about the filming of the show and stuff. It looked pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. So did you retweet it? I did. Yeah. I'm going to go through the retweets and check it out. All right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that one. Did, did, oh, yeah. You should remind him to send us what's it called, too. Oh, the shadow people? Yeah. Yeah. That's, although I'm not really, I don't like the horror that much. It's good. No, I just don't like it. It's just, why why go through scared. that negativity? I don't get scared. Horror movie. We could watch, we could watch Monty Python after before Fuck. we have to go to bed. I gotta watch Monty Python with you. We could watch it on that TV. I don't know. Could be on right now. Really? Okay, yeah. Get get make that happen, buddy. Right now? No, but oh. Anyways, yeah. Thanks for uh, coming on there, Conrad. Absolutely. Thank you, motherfuckers, for listening. Uh, thanks to RPJ for joining us for the intro. Um, oh, a little shout-out for Marty. Marty. Uh, the one-night party. Marty the, <laughs> Marty Hanson. His learned performance. Very interesting. It's I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's the end of November in Canmore. I just wanted to give him one more shout-out. I might go to it still, depending on what I got going on that weekend and if there's room, but... Yeah, it's uh, interesting stuff using intuition and intention and perception and on um, how to uh, to learn performance. There you go. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. yeah. What sort of performance? Physical, mental, and emotional, and spiritual. That's a home run. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Um, head on over to grammarica.ca slash support and, uh, check out all the different options there. You can help us pay the bills, help us stay, um, sponsor free, commercial free, affiliate free, paywall free, and, uh, heat the igloo all at the same time. Yeah. Let's not be tempted into advertisement. Yeah. That's not. And spam gram. I want to. I want to get some emails from people's experience and talk about it on the show. Yeah, yeah. 
G-R-A-H-A-M at Gramerica.com. Or if you guys are just too scared of my rating system, then just, just send an email and tell us that you're too scared. Yeah. Just put, do not read this on the show. Yeah. Or put, uh, don't say my name on the show. There you have it. Oh, yeah. And if people have, are waiting for t-shirts and they haven't got them yet, or if they're looking at t-shirts, I think I've caught everybody, but uh, it's I, I do lose track. So just send a reminder. And uh, we're going to get more t-shirts in. There's a few left. If people want to donate over 25 bucks, we'll send them a t-shirt. Yep. Uh, review the show wherever you can. Um, sign up for the newsletter, gramerica.ca slash news. It's also a good nonchalant way to introduce your friends to the show or uh, anyone else in your email list for that matter. And all that's in the show notes too. So just click on your, if you're, if you're listening via podcatcher of some sort, just slide it over, check out the notes. You can go down and, and all those options for supporting the show are links in the, in the, in the uh, show notes. Yeah. Graham makes it easy. He's a pro. So check out all that stuff. And more importantly, uh, tell your friends about the show. Uh, it's the only way we can spread the hegemony. Hegemony? Hegemony? Whatever. See you guys next week. Both ways. One way.
I'm a rambling gram with synchronicities all over the web. And Aaron is skeptical about everyone and don't believe it yet.